Hey, thank you for listening to the My Age podcast. Podcast that brings you conversations with people from all walks of life using music to plot a map from their early years to how they got to where they are now. Uh, this is episode four. First off, I really appreciate you tuning in, whether it be your first, second, third or fourth listen. Um, it really, yeah, I really appreciate it. Um, and I hope you dig what I'm doing and I hope you kind of stick around because I've got a bunch more that are coming out. I, aiming to do one every month, the last Friday of the month. So I really hope you're enjoying this. Um, shoot us some feedback, like us on the social media networks, whether it be I've got a Instagram account and a Facebook account. I don't use Twitter because it's just too much for me. Old man yelling at cloud. Yeah, today's guest is a young gentleman named Ryan Wilmont. If you've been to, I'm sure I say this in the intro, if you've been to a hardcore show in the last 25 years uh, in Sydney, then you probably saw Willie either taking photos or just hanging out or doing whatever he does. Um, he's, yeah, he's a fantastic guy, <coughs> been doing it for a long, long time. Um, there's some really cool footage Willie put up on YouTube. Well, sorry, someone put up Willie's on YouTube from a video he made, uh, which I think we discussed, um, called Hardcore Pride Australia Wide. Um, it's really cool that Willie documented those things when documenting those things wasn't necessarily the easiest thing to do. We actually had to lug around a camera of sorts um, and, yeah, just sift through hours and hours and hours of footage to get something decent um yeah today's i don't really have a sponsor for this but i'm just going to say this is a free plug because you know it all comes back to me um you should eat gringo bandito hot sauce i just want to put that out there um uh, if you go to blastoffimports.com you can buy it from there and you really just should buy it and you really should eat it uh, the, the new super hot sauce, which is my favourite. I really haven't eaten the other two since I've gotten that one, but that's, you know, if you're into a bit, something that's a bit hotter, a bit, a bit spicier, but any sauce you go with, you can't go wrong with. So, yeah, get it India. You've been to India? Well, get it India. Um, yeah, I should I've got to stop saying um, that's really bad of me. Thanks again for listening. Uh, hope you enjoy this. Willie's picked some cracking jams and I'll speak to you at the end. Cool. So we've got Ryan Wilmot. Um, if you don't know Ryan, well, you should know Ryan, basically. That's that's all I'll say. We'll get to know him a bit better as the podcast progresses. But um, the few people that might be listening to this, chances are you've seen Willie at more than more than a handful of shows throughout the years. So first questions first, Mr. Wilmot. Yep. Who is your daddy and what does he do? <laughs> My father's his name is Peter. Yep. Um, he's currently retired, so he doesn't really do a lot. Um, he's one of those guys that uh, always has a project on the go around the house, a lot of tinkering. Um, my parents are also grey nomads, so... Are they really? Yeah, That's every winter... Time. Every winter they pack up and head for warmer, uh, warmer environment. Warmer temperatures, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, that's what, pretty much where my parents are right now at the moment. Where did they? Um, so where did 
when you were born, where were they living? This is the weirdest thing, all right? So my parents, um, both of my parents, their parents owned corner shops. Okay. My mum lived in Tempe in Sydney and had a corner shop. Um, She went to an all-girls school and my dad lived in Marrickville and his family had a corner shop. So not too far away? No, not too far away. Competing rival, rival corner shops even. Not really, because they're no. kind of in different neighbourhoods. Like oh, of my course, mom, yeah. My mum was kind of more Sydney side of Tempe, and my okay. dad is um, pretty much Henson Park, Marrickville side. Yep. Um, but yeah, mum. That's my mum and dad. Sort of. Yeah, I, I don't know the full story how they met, but yeah, that's kind of where they grew up in that hood together, I guess. Yeah. So when you were born, where where were they? Like they get they get married and have you, or vice versa? Are you? One of you got brothers and sisters. Yeah, I have an older brother who's two years older. So when I was born, my parents had moved um, down to Wollongong, just the suburb south of Wollongong called Farnborough Heights. Yep. Um, so I was born in Wollongong Hospital. Um, so yeah, I guess that's my first. The first two years of my life were in Wollongong, actually, yep. and. Then um, from there, we my dad took a job in Papua New Guinea, and we moved to Papua New Guinea for five years. What was so, he doing there? Um, he was working for a company called Wormwood. Okay. Um, they do like uh, security and fire protection. Um, they used to sponsor the Manly Sea Eagles. That's probably how a lot of people would know them. Okay. Um, and basically, he would set up the business in Port Moresby, and um, yeah, I guess it was a offer too good to refuse, so yeah. the whole family moved over there for five years. Yeah, right. So you were you were there from two to seven? Uh, from... Three to eight. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, three to eight. And it was like, it was um, very early days of Port Moresby, like um, there was one building that was multi-storied in the whole city and, you know, there was one drive-in and... That was kind of the entertainment, yeah. Um, and like there was there was no TV stations, there was no TV, um, so it was actually quite good because I grew up with music and books, and I guess that's really where my love for music sort of um, came from. Was okay. like listening to the radio, and you know, both my mum and dad are, were very musical people. Um, you know, they always. Had, there was always music on in our house growing up. So what were they listening to? Um, my mum, so this is like we're talking sort of 70s, mid-70s. Yeah, yeah. So my mum was pretty much into the disco boom. As you do. Yeah. Um, she also loved, you know, like ABBA and Rod Stewart, huge Rod Stewart fan. Okay, yeah. Um, and my dad sort of, in contrast, is a, is a massive country and western fan. Um, so, you know, he'd be sort of playing Willie Nelson, Johnny Cash, Waylon Jennings, Kenny Rogers, you know, Dolly Parton, sort of all your sort of classic country. Standards. Yeah, standards. That's kind of what I grew up listening to. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was an interesting mix, you know. Yeah, for sure. So, what song, I'm, I'm keen to hear what song you picked today. Um, the song I'm going to go with is a song that, because um, my dad, pretty much used to drive everywhere so he'd have control of 
the stereo. Uh, the stereo, stereo, yeah, the cut stereo. So you know, we we sort of listen. We'd listen to a lot of Johnny Cash. Yep. Um, and it's funny because you know at that time in my life you don't you haven't really formed an opinion on you know what you do and don't like it's just music I guess yeah absolutely um and the song I was going to go with is a boy named Sue awesome <laughs> that's kick ass just because you know as a little kid I you know my dad used to sing it and you know we used to be like dad why did he name his son Sue you know and we kind of missed the whole the, the point yeah it's a really story. It makes sense in the end Oh, yeah, totally, because if you yeah. listen to the actual song, it tells the story, you know, he confronts his dad and his dad's yeah. like, well, I named you Sue so you'd toughen up, you know. Because yeah. I, I, I knew I was going to be a shit dad from the start, so. Yeah, exactly. It's the, it's the best I could do. So, yeah. Well, was... the best I could, yeah, not best I could do, but yeah. Have you heard the all cover? Yes, I have. Yeah, right. Actually, um, um, I... I Dug out Allroy's Revenge today and had a listen to it, and okay. for some reason I thought it was on there, but it wasn't. So it's on the um, it's on the other one. I can picture the cover, but I don't know what the album is. Is um, it on an album? I always thought it was a B side for some reason. I used to have it on a CD, so maybe it was okay. like tacked onto a CD version of Allroy's Revenge. But I listened to the LP today, and it wasn't on that. And I was like, oh, I was sure it was on here, you know? Yeah. But um, yeah, they, I like the all cover as well. Yeah, like it's, yeah, it's done. It's done well. It's done really yeah. well. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Four nine two. Johnny Cash. Let's check it out. Well, my daddy left home when I was three, and he didn't leave much to Ma and me. Just this old guitar and an empty bottle of booze. Now I don't blame him because he run and hid. But the meanest thing that he ever did was before he left, he went and named me Sue. Well, he must have thought that it was quite a joke and it got a lot of laughs from a lots of folks. Seems I had to fight my whole life through. Some gal would giggle and I'd get red and some guy'd laugh and I'd bust his head. I'll tell you, life ain't easy for a boy named Sue. Well, I grew up quick and I grew up mean. My fist got hard, my wits got keen. Roamed from town to town to hide my shame. But I made me a vow to the moon and stars I'd search the honky-tonks and bars And kill that man that gave me that awful name Well, it was Gatlinburg in mid-July And I'd just hit town and my throat was dry I thought I'd stop and have myself a groove At an old saloon on a street of mud There at a table, dealing stud Such a dirty mangy dog that named me Sue well, I knew that snake was my own sweet dad from a worn-out picture that my mother had had. And I knew that scar on his cheek and his evil eye. He was big and bent and gray and old. And I looked at him and my blood ran cold. And I said, my name is Sue. How do you do? How you gonna die? Yeah, that's what I told him. Well, I hit him hard right between the eyes and he went down, but to my surprise, come up with a knife and cut off a piece of my ear. But I busted a chair right across his teeth and we crashed through the wall and into the street, kicking and a gouging in the mud and the blood and the beard. I tell you, I fought tougher men, but I really can't remember when. He kicked like a mule and he bit like a crocodile. 
I heard him laugh and then I heard him cuss and he went for his gun and I pulled mine first. He stood there looking at me and I saw him smile and he said, son, this world is rough and if a man's gonna make it, he's gotta be tough. And I know I wouldn't be there to help you along. So I give you that name and I said goodbye I knew you'd have to get tough or die And it's that name that helped to make you strong Yeah, he said, now you just fought one hell of a fight And I know you hate me and you got the right to kill me now And I wouldn't blame you if you do But you ought to thank me before I die For the gravel in your guts and the spit in the eye Cause I'm the that named you Sue could I do? I got all choked up and I threw down my gun, called him a paw and he called me a son, and I come away with a different point of view. And I think about him now and then, every time I try and every time I win. And if I ever have a son, I think I'm gonna name him Bill or George, anything but Sue. I still ain't that So, Boy Named Sue by Johnny Cash, um, live at San Quentin, which I, th- oh, I could be wrong. I don't think it was ever recorded as a studio version, um, which is odd because it was a, you know, it was a big, it was a big hit. Well, I guess as hits go, the Johnny Cash, it was, it was, it was a, it's a prominent song. So you were saying while we're listening to it, you had a Johnny Cash story. Yeah, it was funny. Um, I like through my, um, I guess. <laughs> into my teenage years, I used to rebel against my dad's taste in music a lot. And later in life when Johnny Cash did the um, the American series, you know, where he hooked up with Rick Rubin Rick and, Rubin, yep. you know, he did all those covers and everything like that, I actually got obsessed with that album, um, The Man Comes Around. Oh, think, okay, yeah, yep. I think it was number four maybe. It was the one that had the... Um, had, had Hurt on it? Yes, the Nine Inch Nails cover. Yeah. I think that was the one that sort of sucked me in, you know? Yeah. And um, I remember when I got a hold of all the American albums, I um, went and gave them to my dad to listen to. And, yeah. like, he was just flabbergasted. He was like, why the fuck do you have Johnny Cash? Yes. <laughs> you know, like, why are you listening to Johnny Cash now? And, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of like one of those things that you just go full circle with. Yeah, absolutely. That's unreal. Yeah. So, so what else? If you didn't pick Johnny Cash, because I'm sure there would have been a list of songs. If you didn't pick Johnny Cash, what else would have maybe made the list? What was up there? Um, second choice was going to be uh, Jolene by Dolly Parton. Okay. Yeah. Right. I don't know if you know that song, but it's a, a look, cracking song. People have sung it to me many, many a times before. Yeah. I get, I get it sung at work almost every day. Oh yeah, I guess. Yeah. You would. You would. I do. I do all the time. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm well aware of that. Yeah, no, it's just, yeah. so either it would have been that one, or then on my mum's side, it probably would have been, um, you know, the Rod Stewart song. Um, I think it's called Young Turks, uh, you know, the Young Hearts Be Free Tonight. You know, that's the chorus. Oh, yeah, 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 I know the song. Yeah, cracking song, great song, still stands the test of time. See, that's awesome. It like it, it definitely does. A lot, a lot of those, I guess it's. Yeah, you, you're exactly right. You rebel against what your parents want to listen to when you were coming up. And then um, I guess when you kind of hit that age, 
when that person, I feel that when you hit that age and when that person was recording it, you don't necessarily have to love it, but you kind of understand and appreciate it a bit better. Oh, yeah, definitely. You definitely have a greater appreciation the older you get for, I don't know, just sort of music that shapes you too, I guess. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So I guess the, the next category we'll look at would be, I guess the stuff you started listening to when, you know, seven ten ish, that you realised that music was a thing, um, yeah, more than just background noise or just something they played in TV shows and movies and that kind of thing, like something you could actually physically purchase and experience. What we listened to around that kind of time. Um, funnily enough, it was like still in Papua New Guinea. Um, yeah. The first cassette tape I ever bought. Uh, was Kiss's Dynasty. Um, so, the, you know, the song I'd pick off that was I Was Made For Loving You. Okay, yep. Um, like Kiss Kiss Fever hit us even over there, you know, with no sort of... That's um, insane. And it was like it totally hit just on the song alone. Like we had no idea what the band looked like, knew nothing about the makeup and the long hair and everything like that. We just heard the song on the radio and we were like, whoa, what the hell is this? When I say we, I mean me and my brother. Yeah, yeah. Was it like this, this might sound odd, but was it more than just, did it catch on with more than just you and your brother and the, I guess the other people working there? Like did the locals hear it and go, what's this about? Or it just wasn't on their radar? Yeah, no, it did. I remember like, because for us to hear it, we would have had to have heard it on the local radio, course, you know. yeah. Um, and like even my mum and dad were into the song, you know, we'd come on the radio and they'd turn it up in the car and whatnot or around the house and yeah, um, yeah, we like Kiss Mania hit us, you know, even in a sort of remote country. It was pretty wild. That is pretty wild. So what, what part of my lack of Kiss knowledge, what year was this kind of, what year did that album come out? I think it would have been about, I want to say, 78 or 79. Okay, yep. Um, and, like, I think it it was kind of, like, I think they'd flirted with the radio a little bit, but this yep, was, yep. like, their breakthrough song, you know? Yep. Um, you know, because there was all the, you know, all the Christian high and mighty saying, oh, you know, KISS stands for Knights in Satan's Service, and, yeah. and, you know, all that kind of crap, but... You know, when you break it down, it's just an an amazing, catchy song, you know? Oh, it's a hell of a pop song, yeah. Totally, totally. Yeah. Cool. So, I Was Made For Loving You, yeah? Yep, I Was Made For Loving You. Let's check it out. Cool.
was made for loving you by Kiss, the Almighty Kiss. We watched the Willie and I watched that film clip as, uh, you know, instead of yeah, we watched the film clip, and we were saying like it's a pretty, it's understandable that people back in the late seventies thought these guys were gonna, you know, bring forth the what's the the rapture, and uh, yeah, bring you know. It's very much lock up your daughters, kind of. Oh, lock up, lock up everybody. Yeah, because <laughs> you just never know. So you were saying you've got some stories, some kiss-related stories, which I'm keen to hear. Yeah, yeah. So one year, I can't remember what year it was, but it's in the middle of Kiss Mania. Um, my family came back to Australia for Christmas to see my grandparents. Yep. Um, and my, I remember my grandparents took us to the Easter show. Yeah, see? And my brother and I both, you know, first thing we wanted was Kiss show bags. That's awesome. So we both got these Kiss show bags. And they're actually, I wish I still had them. They were like a, a what you call a tote bag now that was printed with a Kiss design. That was the actual bag? Yeah, that yeah. was the bag. Like none of this plastic crap. Yeah, yeah. And then they had, a, in them they had a mask and um, like a necklace that had Kiss um, some stickers and, you know, a whole bunch of other crap. I can't really remember. Did you get to pick your mask? No, you just got the mask you got given. Right. But that was, and, you got it, that was all four. Yeah, and you wouldn't believe it. Me <laughs> and my brother both got Gene Simmons. That's it. I mean, look, if you're going to get one, Gene would be the one to get. But Yeah. Right. Well, I, yeah, I was always more into Ace. Like, okay. I don't know, I think it was Ace's makeup. I was like, yeah, that's that's pretty bitch and I like Ace, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and the funny thing was like, at, like, cause at this point we still like, I didn't know that Paul Stanley sang in Kiss. Like this time I was, I still saw Gene Simmons sang, you know, like, okay. Yeah. Cause I was like, yeah, he's got pretty bitch and makeup. He's tall. He, he must be the guy that sings, you know, like this is, this is kid logic as well. You got to realize they do, they do share that. Like, again, my Kiss knowledge doesn't run deep at all. But they do share a bit of the vocals. Does he? Yeah, they do. They do. But mainly, I think Paul is mainly the lead vocal on everything. Yep. Um, and yeah, it's it's funny because I I clearly remember too that whenever mum um, and dad would have friends over, and you know, if they had like children as well, we'd just rope the children in, you know, and we'd be and we'd say to the parents, "All right, you got to come to our bedroom at two o'clock. There's going to be a concert." And then, right. you know, and then the parents would come in and my brother and I would have our Gene Simmons masks on and, you know, <laughs> we'd either have tennis rackets or, you know, um, like pots and pans out of the kitchen with chopsticks and stuff yeah. and we'd do a rendition of I Was Made For Loving You, you know. That's awesome. Pretty and, funny at the and time. you were like 18, 19 at the time? <laughs> no, no, I guess um, sort of, God, how old would this have been? Um, probably about eight, seven yeah, or eight see, probably. That's awesome. Yeah, That's pretty funny. I can only, I can't, yeah, I don't know what these parents were thinking, staying there going, yeah, these kids are rocking out the kiss, you know. With, we're looking, like two of them were dressed up as the, the demon character. Yeah, and it was always like me and my brother, we'd sort of fight over who got drums, you know, like because okay. the, the big finale was you'd snap the, the chopsticks on the upside down pot or pan or whatever it was. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's red hot. Born to perform. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> so 
What what else was there kind of going? Oh well, I guess you kind of limited to what you really listened to in Papua New Guinea. But was there any other music making across? Or was there any, was there any local stuff? It was seriously this time. It was all Kiss, you know. Yeah. Um, and I remember after Dynasty, I think the next album that came out was Unmasked. Oh and right. And we saw it in the record store one day and we were like, holy shit, unmasked. You know, we've got to get this because I'm sure on the cassette somewhere there's going to be a photo of them without their makeup, you know. Like there was, that was also part of the mystique of Kiss, you know. Yeah. You never knew what they looked like until. Oh, to this day I still find war fascinating because like just for the concept of you could be, you know, or not. You, you could be somewhere and three members of war could be behind you at a restaurant or whatever and you just wouldn't know. Yeah, totally. Like, I just, that blows, the whole makeup thing, even to this day blows, well, not, yeah, makeup or outfits, like, disguises blows my mind. I don't, yeah, it's funny because I think that too for Kiss, like, they must have been huge and, you know, you read, like, Gene Simmons' bios and stuff and he talks about, you know. Um, shenanigans you got up to. Yeah, you know, with like multiple women a night and it's like how did their identities never get out, you know? Yeah. I guess it was an innocent time before paparazzis and, you know, soap mags and yeah. all that kind of crap. But um, yeah, in terms of a marketing gimmick, like, my God, Kiss really, really raised the bar, you know? Like I think they just came out with the perfect gimmick. Just guns are blazing. Yeah, and, and matched it with good music too, yeah, you know? Yeah. So... No, Good on you, Kiss. Yeah, props to you. So, you're, you move out of the Kiss phase. Not, well, not move out of the phase, but you going on from Kiss when you're in your... Well, sorry, you were saying you moved from Papua New Guinea to where? Yeah, so after five years in Papua New Guinea, we moved to the Philippines for about three years. Okay. And then um, I moved back to Wollongong, to our family home when I was probably in um, year six. Okay. Um, so I guess that would be like 11 or something like that maybe. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. 11, yeah. 11 and 12, then, yeah. Yeah, and then when I hit high school, so when I was about 12 or 13, um, that's when I really got into metal. Cool, um, okay. So was, it, was that metal more of your your direct friends or was it your big brother? Because I didn't have a big brother growing up. Yeah. So a lot of stuff – no, actually, I shouldn't say uh, – yeah, a lot of stuff I either found myself or found through friends' big brothers. So I yeah. guess it was still the big brother thing. Like was your brother pretty influential with what you listened to or kind of he wasn't listening to as much music or – No, I was a pretty rebellious teen. Cool. So good. Um, my brother was a nerd to me, you know. He yeah. – uh, he liked cold chisel and midnight oil and all this safe radio rock, whereas I was into metal, you know? Like, I don't even know how I got into metal. I think it's when I went to a new high school and I, you know, made new friends who were into metal, that's kind of, I guess, how I learn about all this new music, you know? And you're in the gong, by the way. Yeah, I'm in the gong, yep. yeah, so... Um, I was going to a school called Berkeley, which was like a melting pot of, um, you know, like where we were is kind of like a new housing division, but then, you know, we were thrown in with kids from 
you know, the steelworks and um, okay. um, Port Kembla, like fishermen, you know, fishermen, children. And like it was just a, it was a melting pot of um, ethnicities and like it was a very lower class, lower class. Um, Socioeconomic. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and um, yeah, it was an interesting era, era um, area, sorry. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was, it was cool. And that's kind of how I got into metal through a dude I met at that school named Kenny. Kenny was this uh, little red-headed mad banger. And actually it was his brother. His brother was right into metal and he'd sort of feed Kenny stuff and Kenny would feed it to me, you know. And like I, I, I guess because at the time too my, my knowledge of what was metal was kind of like I still thought, I thought Kiss were metal some, you know, and um, you know, ACDC, uh, you kind of basics, but the, the band that really hit me was Iron Maiden. Okay. Yep. Just, um, I don't know. It was kind of, I guess it's very easy, easy listenable too, you know, and it's the, you know, the lyrically it's quite, um, the like it's very voyeuristic, you know? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It is. Yeah. So was it, were you like... Yeah, I guess at this time, let's call this mid to late eighties. Yeah. Um. Yeah, this would be actually. Yeah. Were they like? Were they playing? Um. Were they playing Maiden on Rage or did MTV oh, start in Australia by then? Was it MTV? No, I don't think so. I hadn't like I hadn't seen Rage or MTV. Actually, this would have probably have been. Yeah. So like mid eighties was yeah. probably. When I started to really get into Maiden, so were you like, was your were you just getting them through? Like, were you finding out stuff through um, just word of mouth, or was there any street press, or was HM yeah. Magazine or early variations of H? Like, was there any? Uh, yeah, was there any media you could have any kind of medium? Sorry, where you kind of could have picked up on anything that was going on around the world? Yeah, there was actually through magazines. So, like, I, you know, if I could. Um, afforded, I'd buy like a copy of Hip Parader. I don't Hip know Parader. if you that was the magazine yeah. I was trying to think of. Yeah, Hip Parader, and then like I don't know when it started. It might have been a few years after, but Australia had Hot Metal. Yep, I do so remember that, that. That kind of became my bible. Yep. Um, but yeah, like Hip Parader, and there was another magazine. The name escapes me, but it was like it was you know pretty much metal based and. Um, you know, every issue would kind of have a flexi seven inch in there, and yeah, right. You'd listen to some new music and whatnot, but um, yeah, basically, compilations were a big thing too. Even in the metal scene. Yeah, exactly, and it was it was strange because I remember I had this one comp um, called Headbangers Heaven, and I saw it advertised on TV, which is okay, incredible, like and a actually, late night TV thing. No, it was um, Saturday morning. Um, Donny Sutherland used to host Sounds. I don't know if you ever remember Sounds. No, that's yeah. No, I think it was it was on Channel Seven, and um, so Sounds was basically the commercial equivalent of Countdown. Okay. Yep. You know, bands would come on and mime. Um, there might have been film clips, but this might have still been before MTV hit and film clips took off. Yeah. Um, but yeah, basically magazines were pretty much my information source and, you know, friends and word of mouth and things like that. 
yeah. Um, were there shows? Like, were there was there a local? I mean, I'm sure there would have been a local Wollongong metal scene, but were you aware if there was a local Wollongong metal scene, or like were bands coming down to play Wollongong? You know what I. I tried to look for it the other day at my mum and dad's, but I had a copy of, you used to go into record stores and the weekly charts were printed on like. Oh, the ARIA charts? Yeah, they were printed on this bit of paper and the flip side was an ad. Okay. And on the this one I had, the flip side was an ad for um, Iron Maiden's, it must have been Number of the Beast tour. Jesus. And... They played Shell Harbour Workers Club. That's awesome. And I remember I looked at it and, like, me and my friend at school, so we were, like, 13 or, you know, 14, and we were talking, like, how do we get into Shell Harbour Workers Club to see Iron Maiden? Oh, because, of course, it's not all ages, yeah. And, you know, so when you think of, when I think about it now, like, because this is Shell Harbour Workers Club in God, like, the early 80s, it would have been, like, the last place that, you know... A, a thirteen or fourteen year old kid would got a want chance to get to. Yeah. Exactly, you know. But um yeah, I held I had that thing taped to my wall for ages, you know, like, oh my God, Iron Maiden was so close that we, I could have seen them, you know, and That's awesome. Yeah, pretty funny. And you gotta think I mean not that I've been to that venue before, but it wouldn't have been that big. Yeah, well like I, it would it would definitely be like I'd say under two thousand people, you know, yeah. like and which is but I guess at that point too, like Iron Maiden were very still metal centric, you know, like there's there's no exposure to the mainstream for Maiden back then. Again, it's like you know, commercial radio wanted nothing to do with yeah, heavy metal, thing, it, you know. Yeah. So it was very much an underground movement. Um, so yeah, I guess. But, yeah, for a band like Iron Maiden at that time, they were probably headlining, um, you know, shows at Wembley. And oh, like Monsters of Rock and yeah, exactly. all that stuff, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's a monstrous, like, you know, not to pardon the pun, but there's some big-ass festivals in Europe, and then they come here and be like, oh, Shell Harbour, cool. <laughs> I'll have a workers' club. Yeah. Shelly, it's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's insane. All right, so what song is it then? Uh, yeah, the song... We'll go for um, was a number of the beast, and funnily enough, um, I have a very very clear memory of. So at this time, also, I got into um, playing rugby league. Okay. And I used to play for um, a club in Wollongong, and because we were in the Illawarra comp, our um, comp stretched all the way from. Um, you know, I think it went down to Dapto and all the way up to Helensburg. Okay. Which back then before all the freeways and highways and everything were put in, it was probably about an hour's drive from Wollongong to Helensburg. Wow, and I, that's okay. That, yeah, of course it would have been. And I can clearly remember making my dad listen to Number of the Beast, the album, from start to finish because I needed to listen to it to psych up for footy. That's a good excuse. And my, my my dad was pretty supportive of me playing football. Like he grew up, you know, he used to play um, first grade rugby union for Canterbury and whatnot. And yep. like he was he was pretty stoked when I got into footy, you know. But it cracks me up thinking about it that you know my dad, the country and western 
sort of dad, I made him listen to Iron Maiden on an hour-long drive. Did he ever Did he ever crack? Like, did he ever go, oh, this song, don't mind this song? <laughs> no. No. It, just... it, was, it was your typical parent stuff, you know, like, yeah. I don't even understand the words. What's he talking about? Yeah, well, no? that's, yeah. It was pretty funny. That's awesome. Cool. Okay, Number of the Beast, let's, let's listen to it. Whoa. sends the beast with wrath because he knows the time is short. Let him who hath understanding reckon the number of the beast, for it is a human number. Its number is 666. I left alone My mind was blank I needed Time to think to get the memories from my mind. What did I see? Can I believe that what I saw that night was real and not just fantasy? Just what I saw in my old dreams were the reflections of my woman staring back at me. Night was black, was no use old 
Number of the Beasts always reminds me of one of those Tony Hawk games. Don't know. Well, because it was on it. Tony Hawk 4? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was on one of those too, actually. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, which is, I'm about that. Um, again, love a story. You've got something for me. Iron Maiden related. Go for it. I'm very Iron Maiden related. So about this time I was quite rebellious as a teen too and I, I started to grow my hair out. Yeah. So me and the other banger at school, Kenny. The redhead kid. Yeah, the redhead kid. It was a competition just, you know, see who could get the longest hair. Yeah. So in this school there was probably like, God, they'd be lucky to be five of us who were bangers, you know, like across all the years. Yeah, yep. And um, I, I kind of, I try like I had the like a full mullet, you know, like we're talking, you know, the 80s mullet long at the back party on the top sort of deal. Part of the back business at the front, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and but the, the thing was at this time I was also surfing quite a lot and um, playing footy and I kind of, I was split between peer groups, you know, whereas like the bangers hang out, hung out with the bangers because they were the total outsiders and yeah. they, they kind of needed each other. But like I also hung out with the surfers and the footy players and yeah, it was yeah. and it was kind of weird because, you know, they were very straight up and down dudes and, you know, but it was weird because everyone was accepting of, of me as a banger and I don't know, it was kind of, it was pretty funny. friends accepting of you being a footy head as well? <laughs> Yeah, no, they they didn't care. The bangers were the most open-minded out of everyone, you know. Yep. Um, but I like I do remember I like I I like I I was a nightmare to my parents at this time too, you know, and um, they like they were so despised with my hair, and I was just like, you know, fuck it, it's got to get long, it's got to be long like a banger, blah blah blah, and I think I even got a note sent home from school, you know that. Um, you know, Ryan's dishevelled appearance needs addressing or something like that. It's yeah. pretty funny. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. And but yeah, now it's funny, like it's, it's long hair long hair's back in again and yeah. I don't know, you don't even see long hair on metal heads anymore. No. Metal well, not you know, Metallica cut the hair and changed the game for everyone. That's right. People are ahead of their time. I remember my old man used to think I was crazy because I never used to have long hair. But he'd be like, I fought so hard, you know, in jest, he'd be like, I fought so hard to have long hair when I was a kid. You don't even care. Your hair's not long. Da, 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 da. I was like, ah, I get it. Well, yeah. But yeah, like. <laughs> yeah, totally. Hair, there, was, there was still such a massive stigma about having long hair in, like in the 80s, you know, like yeah. it was in the early 80s for sure. Like I think maybe the 80s was the turning point where. I guess coming from the hippie generation in the seventies, you know, if you had long hair, you're a scumbag kind of deal, and yeah. I guess that followed followed over for metal as well, you know, like it was kind of, but yeah, I don't know. You wore it as a badge of honor. So cool. Next song. Um, I'm going to hazard a guess that the next song is going to be either punk or hardcore related. It is indeed. Cool. Okay. I thought I thought as much because you know we've known each other for. That's cool. Fifteen. How long have we no. known each other? Ninety-eight. Um, yeah, I'd say around then. Yeah, ninety-eight. So, um, and when I met you, you were you were like you were doing like you were well entrenched in the Sydney hardcore and punk rock scene. Like you made 
Was it Hardcore Pride Australia wide? Yeah. Was that the video? That was the second one, yeah. The first one I did was Community United. I didn't know um, about that. Yeah, Hardcore Pride Australia wide probably came out about, I want to say, maybe 98, 99. Yeah. And, like, so from a young guy, I was looking at you going, you're actually doing shit. Like, like at that time, I would have been about 17. Yeah, look at you going, you're actually doing shit. So you'd had, you know, you'd been there for a lot of things. What, like, from... You obviously, and I know you well enough to know that I'm sure Maiden gets a regular spin these days. Yeah. But what? how did you go from Maiden to the next phase in your life musically? Um, I actually, I changed high schools in about, I think it was year nine. Okay. I moved from Wollongong up to, um, to Engadine. So I was going to Heathcote High School, which yep. is in the Sutherland Shire. So it's about, yeah, it's pretty much... The furthest southern point of Sydney, yeah. Or yeah, Sydney, pretty, much, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. it is actually. Yeah, because the I think it changes to the Illawarra once you hit waterfall. Once you hit waterfall, yeah. Um, but yeah, so around this time as well, this is kind of like um, mid to late eighties. That's when the whole skateboarding and punk rock took off, you know. Yep. Um, and so you know. Again, new school, make new friends, gravitated towards the musical people. And, yeah, they kind of, I think the first tape I got given had like a Dead Kennedys album on one side and an Exploited album on the other. And Who gave you that? Um, it was a guy named Dan that used to play bass in a band called um, A Second From Always. Okay, yep. Um, I was in a lot of classes with him and... Um, Again, he was getting fed music by another friend's older brother. Yep. And um, by this time I'd, you know, been into skateboarding and um, a lot of skate videos had uh, SST records as their soundtracks, you know, like if you watch the Santa Cruz videos, um, Streets of Fire and Wheels of Fire, you know, that's all like, you know, Descendants, Bad Brains, um, you know, Minutemen kind of stuff and... That was pretty much how I found punk and hardcore. Cool. Um, and also, actually, I was still quite into hot metal, and hot metal had branched out. They kind into... of opened their gates to what they put in there, didn't they? Yeah, they did. They used to cover a lot of the local um, Australian punk and hardcore and metal scene. I guess because at that time the scene was probably so small that, you know, all those bands got lumped in together. You know, you were yeah. just... Um, you know, you're an alternative to the mainstream kind of deal. So, and the the thrash movement also was around then too. So I kind of gravitated towards bands that were a bit more intelligent. You know, like a um, I don't know a, a DRI or an Agnostic yeah. Front or something like that. And you know, I'd read about the bands in hot metal and um, try and track down what you could and check things out and. Um, yeah, that was kind of my introduction to punk and hardcore was um, through this guy Dan at a, at a new school. Yeah. So were you getting again with their shows? You moved up to you're a bit closer to Sydney than now than when you were in Wollongong. Were there local shows? Were you heading into Sydney to see shows? Ah, uh, yeah. Actually, at the time, um, I uh, the Sutherland Entertainment Centre used to do a, a show every second week. Wow. And it was like a under-18 show and, you know, it was the kind of the thing to do and the place to go, you know, 
you'd meet up with all your friends, you know, get get drunk on rocket fuel or something before you went in and, you yeah, know. Try, and then car parker in the corner. Yeah, you know, and you, then you try and hook up with a chick and whatever band is on is in the background, you know, and it would be yeah. like, um, you know, bands like Hootie Gurus and Spy vs. Spy and, you know, Wawani and the Cockroaches. Just oh, like, so not, not necessarily punk rock bands and hardcore bands? No, but then every now and then there would be like a metal band, like Mortal Sin played there and okay. that was amazing, um, you know. Mass Appeal played there. Um, uh, you know, by the end of it, Hard Ones and Celebrate Rifles played a show there together. So I was also kind of um, exposed to, I guess, in Sydney, what you'd classify the waterfront records scene. Yep. Um, so, you know, the Hard Ones became a big part of my life as well. Um, but in, like, I don't think like a, a Sydney hardcore scene really existed at this time. This okay. was probably like, um, we're talking like, you know, I guess 89 kind of around then. Yep. Um, so the waterfront scene was, I guess, basically it. And um, So pardon my ignorance, but was waterfront, was it a shop as well as a label? Yeah, it was a shop and a label. Yeah. And the label, you know, the label put out bands like the Hard-Ons, Mass Appeal, um, the Hellmen, yep. Ratcat, um, Proton Energy Pills, which went on to become Tumbleweed. Um you know, Spunk Bubbles, None Bait. It was kind of like it was the record label in Australia at the time, you know, yeah. that was really huge. And a lot of those bands all played together all the time, you know. Yeah. So it was like Melbourne had a go-go records, which is, you know, pretty much Meanies and the Nursery Crimes and yep. a few other bands like that, and they'd come up and play with the Waterfront bands, you know. Okay. Yeah, yeah, cool. So that was kind of the punk and hardcore scene at the time, I guess. Um, and I'd sort of, you know, I'd see some of those shows here and there. Um, actually, I remember one one year, I must have been in about year 10 or year 11, and Mortal Sin, um, this was when Mortal Sin put out Face of Despair. I don't know if you've ever heard that album. It's a classic Australian metal album. It's brilliant. I, did, I haven't, but I know, like, a lot of people talk about them still. Um, and they actually, they like, they supported um, Metallica on their Damage Justice tour of Australia. Yep. In like, like 98. Oh, sorry, 89. Yeah, 89. about 89. So they were like the big Aussie metal band, you know. Yep. And um, Mortal Sin headlined a show at Engadine Youth Centre. So, okay. you know, every kid from, you know, in, a, in the Sutherland Shire went to this show. Yep. And at this show... A, a dude in my year, um, this guy named Derek, got up on stage and stage dived and, and no one caught him and he hit the deck and he broke his pelvis and oh, it would have been a world of pain but, you know, when you're a young kid it's pretty hilarious. Yeah, yeah, absolutely it is. And the, the, the Monday after the show we all had a public assembly at school on the dangers of stage diving. That's insane. <laughs> and this, this kid, Derek... He became, um, like, his nickname was Decker, and he became Decker the Pelvic Wrecker. How <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good are kids? Oh, yeah, yeah, how good is yeah. the high school mentality, you know? Yeah. Like, oh, what's his name? We'll rhyme it with something that pays him out. Yeah, sweet, yeah, Decker the Pelvic Wrecker. But, um, yeah, that was that was kind of, like, at that time, because I was still um, underage too, you know? Like, there wasn't a whole lot of shows that you could go to, you know? Yeah. Um, 
you're pretty although good. at that like we're talking at that time too like I think I'd started to go to the pub when I was about 16 15 because this is back when you um you still had a paper license oh and, okay yep yep and because my brother was two years older I just you know I'd take his L's or something like that in you know and I'd yep. be like yep that's me that's, that's me, me. me yep and I guess, you know, I'd have an old bank card or something like that. And I'm like, yeah, it's me. Here's Which, a bank yeah, card. Which, yeah, up to the name, the both names match, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then you just got to learn how to forge your signature and you're in. And just know know whatever style someone to use. Yeah, exactly. That was it. So but, what about uh, buy music? Um, was there, were you heading into the city or was there any spots in Ingadine selling stuff? Yeah, like, water, like Waterfront Records was the place to be sort of thing. Like that's so... Every school holidays, me and my friends would, you know, save up what money we had and we'd go into Waterfront and we'd all sort of buy. We all made sure we bought something different, you know, so we could each trade it and, you know, tape it and then we each had a copy of it, you know, and you kind of... Were you buying the records or were tapes, was it pretty much tapes or were CDs kind of coming through? No, CDs hadn't hit yet, so it was still tapes and records. Um, I pretty much... I would think I bought a mixture of both tapes and records. Like I still have a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Um, and I, I kind of wish I bought more of it, you know, because I've sort of spent a lot of time lately collecting all that stuff. Yeah, buying it back. Yeah, exactly. And um, But, yeah, like Waterfront was the, the place to go. Waterfront and Utopia as well. Yeah, um, of course. Yeah. And, and then Red Eye had a huge second hand as well. Yeah, because they had... Yeah, they had a couple of locations, didn't they, Red Eye? Yeah, they at that time they I think they even had three stores. Yeah, but yeah. um yeah, basically there was nothing around local, like my local music shop was your typical top forty sort of stuff and yep. you had to go in the city to get a hold of anything that was, you know, left of centre kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, sure. Sure. Um so yeah, that was kind of how I first got into punk and hardcore, I guess, was once I sort of switched schools and made the transition from metal to punk and hardcore. And, of course, stupidly, I, you know, hocked all my metal records because, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm not into metal now. I'm into punk and hardcore. Yeah, that's and, right, yeah. And metal is and almost I, the enemy. Yeah, and if I had it held on to that stuff, you know, like I'd be a rich man, you know. So you live and you learn, hindsight. And who would have thought that yeah. records would be worth anything? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Just insane. All right, so what song are you going to pick? Who is it? What <laughs> albums are from? What year did it come out? Uh, so this is actually kind of we. So after, um, I think I'd finished school, and uh, this was when skateboarding transitioned into the um, the little wheels and the really fat baggy pants age. So this is like yep. probably ninety one, ninety two. Okay, um, and. I came, a friend of mine had a, um, you know, Tony Hawk skate company birdhouse. He had a birdhouse video called Ravers. Okay. And on that video, there was a guy named Dan, I can't remember his last name, but he, he in his part, he had New Direction by Gorilla Biscuits. And um, that was like a total game changer for me when I heard that you know I was like holy fuck what is this you know like this is angry and it's fast but it's melodic and it's intelligent and like this dude Dan I can't remember his last name Dan Rogers maybe but anyway he skated like 
flat out 100 kilometer an hour balls to the wall and it was just like the part that just like whoa this is nuts you know and, yeah for sure um so then you know you sort of go through a wormhole you know trying to track down gorilla biscuits who's gorilla biscuits where do i find gorilla biscuits what's gorilla biscuits you know and um that was how i came across start today yep uh and so, so is that we did you buy it locally or did you have to send off for it or um i I want to say that I actually found it in Waterfront. Okay, yep. Um, although I could have been, I got a tape copy off someone else that was like, oh, yeah, dude, Gorilla Biscuits, you know, you should know about them. Yeah. Um, so at this point too, I'd, I'd started uni and um, I was actually heavily, heavily into smoking pot. yeah. <laughs> Um, this this is before you heard Grill Biscuits or you? Yeah, so this is around the same time, you know, like I was, um, yeah, I was kind of like, you know, I'd, like again I was such a rebel, you know, like I was just like, fuck society, I don't want to, I don't want to work a job, I don't want to yep. be one of those stooges, you know, like I'm just going to go to uni and, you know, get paid new start or whatever just and be a, smoke, be a, smoke be a, weed. A full-time and, student. Yeah, exactly. And um so yeah, I, that was around the yeah, that was around the time I heard Gorilla Biscuits, you know, and that album just had such a huge impact on my life. Like it kind of um it sort of turned me around, you know, cuz it's such a when you listen to that album, you know, everything is so positive and yeah. Um it kind of, you know, like um uh I don't know, like, you know, songs like First Failure about, you know, getting up and trying again. Another crack, yeah. Um, what else is on there? That um, The song about procrastination, I'm trying to think of the name. Um, like Start Today. Start Today, yeah. And then the, the, the actually, so the song I went with off the album is one that's still had a huge impact on my life, like now, you know, 20 years later, and that's Cats and Dogs. Okay. Um did because it, sorry, you go yeah. Because that was the song that um, made sort of put me on the path towards vegetarianism. You know, like I sort of like I was always a massive animal lover, and I heard that song, and I was like, "Fuck, that makes so much sense." You know, like why can I love a cat and a dog, but yet I'm okay to eat a cow yeah, or a pig? pig you know, yeah. and it's like it's the same thing. You know, it's just. That um, you know, like the line says, tradition is all that keeps them alive. You know. Yeah. Did it? Um, um was it was it a quick transition? Uh, like from it, hearing it to jumping ship. It was at the time too, because I was starting to go to Sydney shows, Sydney hardcore shows. So this was yeah. probably around the time um, that No Deal Records. So Sean No Deal was putting on a lot of shows, and Greg from Spiral Objective as well. So the scene was kind of based around. Um, the Vulcan Hotel in Sydney and um, it just started to move, I guess, into feedback into Newtown. But every show you'd go to, someone from had an animal liberation table set up. Okay, yep. So there was also always literature about going vegetarian, you know, and going vegan and things like that. And um, I'd sort of pick it up and, you know, read through it and, you know, mull over the idea and everything. And yeah. um, I, I guess what it came back to like cats and dogs was the tipping point, you know? Yeah, for sure. 
missed, as cheesy as it sounds, I miss those. Um, I miss people having stalls. Yeah, same. Like I, I, it's kind of changed a little bit now. Like I find the hardcore's gotten. When I go to a show, there'll be people that have sort of information available, you know. But I okay. feel like it went through that stage where you couldn't go to a hardcore show without being exposed to, you know, vegetarianism. And um, I don't know. I feel like. It was a great thing, you know, like straight edge and vegetarianism went hand in hand back then, you know, whereas I feel like it kind of split to you were just edge and, you know, you just, you still ate meat and whatever. But yeah, um, but the whole album Start Today really changed my life, you know, like I gave up weed, I um, stopped drinking. I think I even went edge for six months, you know, and just sort of that just album. Straight yourself out. Yeah, that album really turned my life around, you know. Like I was also actually, yeah, at that time I was doing a lot of acid too. And Wow, okay. Um, like I think one year, one year I, I probably took acid nearly every weekend, you know, and basically fried my brain. And Were you going to shows or were you just hanging at home listening to music or...? Oh, a bit of both, you know. Like you'd yeah. go, like there weren't a lot of shows back then, you know. There yeah. might be one a month and... There'd be an ad in Drum Media or something, and that was kind of you know how you knew there was a show on. And actually, at the time, I made friends with a girl at uni, at uni named Catherine, and her boyfriend was um, Chris, who was a singer in Subversion. So she was very entrenched in the Sydney hardcore scene, and yep. you know she would give me heads up on a lot a lot of things. You know, exposed me to you know a whole lot more music and sort of got me introduced to the local scene. That's unreal. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Okay. Cats and dogs, grill biscuits from start today. Let's check it out. Sorry, like this isn't part of it. But when you said you want to talk about uh, Hot Water Music and Descendants, was this a? Is yeah, this a, so 
Yeah, so just do the, um, was there any other songs from this time period? Yeah, cool. Okay. Go with that. Cool. All right, Gorilla Biscuits, Cats and Dogs, off the Start Today album. Um, there's There was so much music, I guess, at that time of your life when... It just you would it just would have been a wall of music kind of coming at you. What else would you have could you have picked? Uh, yeah, for that? the for that same I guess that same time period, I um I was going to go with the Descendant song, um, probably uh, Hope. You know, because yeah. uh, um, I don't know. I guess at the time I was a bit of a uh, hopeless romantic too, and I found like Hope is kind of that love song that. I know every dude can relate to you know like you oh, kind of. It's a great breakup song, I reckon. Breakup song, I reckon it's a uh, a great. Um... No, sorry, not no, sorry, not breakup song, but just like unrequited love would probably be a better way to put it. Exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it's like that kind of song, and I think like it's I don't know, like it was just a song that really struck a chord with me for that time too. But then yeah. at the same time with the theme. Of this podcast, I thought it'd be pretty cheesy to put a descendant song in there, you know. I'm but fine with it, but like, yeah, yeah. totally. But then, you know, yeah. I just, I just kind of thought, I don't know. I, but then, in the long run, too, I think cats and dogs is something that's had a, a bigger impact. Are you yeah. still vegetarian? I am actually. I'm four months into going vegan. Wow. So yeah, it's a very slow process because I was, you know, I was vego for like twenty years or something, and now. Yeah sort of just started to go vegan but um yeah and it all comes back to cats and dogs you know yeah, so yeah. pretty crazy how are you finding how are you finding it yeah it's not too bad like i because I've, I've been drinking almond milk for a couple of years and you know i've yep. been having nutalex instead of butter and marge for ages yeah. don't really eat eggs and but cheese was the biggest one for me you know like um, yeah absolutely but i like i've you know, I found a few soy cheese sort of products that, you know, they're okay. I'm getting by on it sort yeah, of thing. Yeah. And, yeah, it's it's a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. And, you know, in hindsight, it's something I should have done ages ago. But that's just one of those things, I guess. I had, um, I, st- I tried, I'm going to say, uh, mid, uh, probably April-ish. Yep. I had a crack at it. And I, I probably lasted six weeks, but with Nicole being pregnant, it's like it was just it ended up being like she, you know, not to put the onus on her, but she'd be like, "I want this," and it's like, "Cool, well, there's no vegan alternative." Like, oh, not no vegan alternative, but I'm not going to cook two meals. So I yeah. just went, "Okay, this is getting too much." And when when we when she finally has the baby and the cravings kind of change and it's a bit easier to work with. Um, I'll have another crack at it, but yeah, it's yeah, definitely cheese was. I, I don't drink coffee, so I don't drink milk. Yeah, um, hey, I only have milk on cereal. Yeah, Nutlex. We've we've had that for yonks. We just someone just bought it, and we just kept kind of stuck with it. But yeah, cheese is just yeah, yeah. and the, the the soy cheese is really expensive too. Like yeah. fifteen bucks for a packet of grated cheese, and it's lucky to do a pizza. Or, you know, it's sort of yeah, it doesn't last you long at all. No, it doesn't. But then, you know, when you break it down, you're like, well, it's better than a cow dying. So. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. That's the price you pay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you said Hot Water Music? So, yeah, Hot Water Music was another another band that around this time was, I guess, pretty big for me too. Um, I kind of got on board, I think, probably around 
um, no division. Yep. And at this time, I was I was also traveling the world a lot, um, trying to crack it as a professional snowboard photographer. Okay, yeah, for sure. So I'd sort of, you know, you'd chase the winter, you'd kind of do the Australian winter and then you'd back it up with the Northern Hemisphere winter and you kind of, like, I found I was away a lot and, you know, I missed, like, you know, a lot of friends' birthdays and weddings. and yeah, significant events. Yeah, significant events that, you know, in hindsight weren't that big a deal but they were to you back then. Yep. And, um... Uh, you know, the the line I always came back to was, you know, live your heart, never follow. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And um, so, yeah, that that Hot Water Music song really sort of resonated with me as well, you know, like that was my anthem for, for that period, you know, every time I'd sort of question what I was doing and things like that, it would come back to that song. Yeah. Is that your, um? that's my favourite Hot Water Music album. Yeah. I feel like... It's it is a big turning point because it's for me like after that not to say they became a different band but after that they released Flight and a Crash and they were on Epitaph and so on and so forth and before that they kind of went through their really not not underground stage but it, there was yeah, it wasn't as pop as No Division was How, like where does your where does your discography sit with them where, where's your kind of oh I I definitely think No Division was their peak you know. Yeah. And um, I actually, I think it comes back to the Walter Schreifel's theory too. You know, the guy has the Midas touch. Yeah. And, you know, him producing that producing album it, yeah. just took that to hot water to another level, you know. Yeah, and absolutely. like when you compare it to Flight and the Crash, it's, I don't know, like it doesn't have that intensity. It doesn't have that passion, you know. It just, like, no division is pretty much a melodic hardcore record to me. Yeah, know? for sure. Like it's, it's, I don't know, it's very heartfelt and, you know, very singy kind of choruses and, you know, like it's, you can finger point to it in your bedroom kind of deal, you know. Or while you're driving down the road, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, like I I rate No Division miles ahead of everything that else they did. You listen to that Daniel Wexler? No Division <laughs> is the Alpha and Omega. That's this is correct. Yeah, good. I'm glad we're on the same page with that. Alrighty. So the last category, the last song. Um, if we're working, if we're saying it's mid '90s now, that's a long time between the long time between then and now. Um, what did you get up to? Like you ran a record label, you did a and still do an online zine. Um, you did an actual zine. Uh, what else did you do? What else, yeah. Yeah, so all of those things, and then um, I, I finally did a band too. Oh, uh, of course, sorry, I forgot that one, yes. So that lasted about six years, I think, and then, I don't know, I dabbled in a bit of everything, used to put on a lot of shows, you know, toured a couple of bands and yep. um, just did a bit of everything really, and again, it all kind of revolved around music. Yep. Um, and I found, you know, like I'd be working shitty jobs to sort of, you know, fund all these musical endeavours and, you know, you know how it is when you're in a band, you, you try and get a pretty flexible job so you can take off and, you know, tour or play a show or something yeah, like drop that. Yeah, almost, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, in terms of being an adult, it's probably not, you know, in hindsight, you know, you 
you're probably better off making a living and then doing it as a hobby, you know, yeah, but yeah. when you're so caught up in it, you think it's like the be all and end all kind yeah, of thing. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I guess I, I did a bit of everything along those lines. Yeah, cool. So what, um, what was your record label called? I know what it was called, but for the listeners, the three or four people that might potentially listen to this, one of them probably doesn't know what it is. Uh, yeah, so it was Common Bond Records yep. and started that in 2002. So first release was a um, discography for Drawback, a Sydney band. Yep. And that was a split label release with Trial and Error. So Nigel from Winesnare sort of helped me out and showed me the ropes and getting things going. And um, yes, yeah, so I did Common Bond Records for a few years and. Um, I think I did about 10 releases before I handed it over to Hoppo because um, I finally landed the dream job in the snowboarding world and I took over as an editor of a magazine. So Hoppo was the bass player in Miles Away? Yes, he was, correct, sorry. So, yeah, once once Common Bond changed hands, then it kind of took on more of a Perth feel. Of course, Um, yeah. You know, he was releasing Extortion and Jaws and... Break even and all those kind of bands. Yep. Um, but yeah, it was it was good. I'm glad I, I did that for. The, I think I did that at the right time too. You know, like CDs were cheap to manufacture and they were popular. Yeah, you know? they were still buying them. Yeah. You know, like we'd I'd sell through multiple pressings of an against CD or a miles away CD. You know, and. Yep. That would let you fund like a strength within CD or you know something else. So, um, right time, right place. Um, but then, yeah, modern day, I I started another record label with Rest Assured Records and did that vinyl only, and it's crazy, you know. It costs double the price, and you can't even move three hundred copies of something, you know. What, what got released on that? Um, so the first release was the Boneless EP. Oh, of course. Yep. Yep. And then the second release was the Post Blue, um... Was that a 7-inch? Yeah, 7-inch for Leap Year or Lap Year. Yep. Um, and then the third one was the Boneless Gratitude LP. Yep. And then I kind of pulled the pin on that because, um, I've got a lot of records and it costs a lot of money to put them out and, yeah, it's kind of... It's a bit of a mugs game in this day and age where everyone's an MP3 collector and they don't want a physical format. Yeah. But um, actually, I was the fourth release was going to be an album for Hazards, but you know that's turned into Chinese democracy. Like, yeah, which is unfo- really unfortunate. I like I've had a, a a rough mix of that album probably I've got two, two yeah, and it's brilliant. It's like. Yeah. One of my favourite Australian releases that, that will never no one's ever, ever going to hear, you know? Yeah. Oh, major bummer. What? Yeah, fantastic band. <coughs> yeah, great band. I actually listened to it the other day and I was like, wow, these are such great songs. Yeah. But, yeah. Cool. Things happen. So, last song. Um, the kind, a kind of song that sums up where you are now, whether it be... You kind of went back. It's something you've kind of revisited that you didn't appreciate at the time, or something you're just listening to a lot that you did listen to it a lot before, and you've kind of just re refound it again. Or what are you going to go with? 
Uh, yeah, so exactly. I'm going um, back in time to the high school days, so back to that waterfront era. Um, and because I've, I've found I've been listening to that stuff a lot lately, and um, probably the last two years, you know, I've gotten back into all the all the all the bands of that era. You know, like particularly the Hard Ons, they were a huge band for me at that time, and um, Celebrate Rifles as well. Um, so. Um, the song I went with is called Just Being With You and it was on a 7-inch that they did um, and it actually, I think they broke up before they recorded it and they were like, all right, this is our last thing we're going to do so let's do it properly or something and yeah, it's just a cracking song and it's a great song and yeah, I think that kind of sums up my musical listening a lot of late, like sort of getting back into all that old stuff that I really loved as a teenager, you know? Awesome. That's unreal. So before we go, have you got anything to plug? Um, yeah, no, nothing really to plug, not at this stage. Um, Is I... there a Chunks reunion on the, in the pipeline? <laughs> no Chunks reunion, unfortunately. Oh, um, that is a favourite band that, well, I only did two or three bands anyway, but that is the favourite band I ever did. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no no Chunks reunion, unfortunately. Hey. We, can, um, we can all just hang out for the last Nerve reunion instead. Oh, dude, don't get me started. <laughs> I, I acquired the the last Nerve backdrop. So when they want it, <laughs> when they want to play a show, I'll bring it. I'll, be, I'll set it up for them. Did they have like a proper printed? Like a proper printed backdrop. Yeah, right. I can't even remember that. It was black with white and there was the uh, the demo tape logo, the crumbly yep. logo. Yeah, yeah black wow. with white. Um, I used to live with Rory um, who played guitar in the band and when he quit the band or when he left the band or whatever, he just... He he just happened to the one holding on to it and no one ever asked him for it and then he was throwing a bunch of stuff out. He goes, you want this? I was like, fuck yeah, I do. <laughs> it, just, it goes perfect with all my tapes and all my variations of their seven inches. So, yeah, Well, I can't believe they had a backdrop even back then. Rock and roll. Wow. Yeah. And this is like, and Rory, like they, were, they would have gone for, it's, let's say they went for four years. Rory would have been in the band for the first two, so. Yeah, totally. That's what I was thinking. Like, it's yeah. very early in the piece to have a backdrop. Yep, but they run it. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, when they do that reunion, I'll take the backdrop down. Excellent. Sounds Get them to cool. sign it and then put yeah. it straight on eBay. Put it on eBizzle for sure. <laughs> cool. Hey, Willie, thanks for, thanks for doing this. Um, no yeah, problem. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me. Take care. You too. See ya.
So there you go, Ryan Wilmot. Good guy. Good good human. Yeah, good human. Um, again, thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. Uh, next month's episode, I'm going to have the other half of the High Fives podcast, which I hope you all listen to, Mr. Nate Lewitt. Nate and I... Actually, you know what? I'll leave the story for how Nate and I met till next week's next month's episode. Uh and I, as I said in next month's episode, I'll, I promise you I'll put it to bed. You'll never hear me speak of it again unless you ask, but you probably won't ask because it's not really relevant to anyone really besides myself and Nate. Uh, thank you for listening. Really appreciate it. I um, hope whatever you're doing is cool. I uh, hope you're chill. hope you're safe. And I'd just like to thank my wife, Nicole, and my, at the moment, five-month-old son, Cody. He will probably never listen to this, but it surprisingly takes a lot of effort to get these podcasts done. You wouldn't think it would, um, but recording one and editing all together can be a nightmare. So I really appreciate that those guys let me take the time away from the two of them every month or so to let me put it together. Um, and I appreciate Nicole letting me do this. So, yeah, to just for the shits and giggles, I guess. Thank you again for listening. I've said that too many times. Really appreciate it. Cool. Take care.